summon the Scream Writers Podcast, the premier podcast welcoming both veteran and up-and-coming horror screenwriters slaying their craft. <laughs> and now your hosts. Welcome to the Scream Writers Podcast. I am Patrick Mediate, New York in June on Twitter, and I am joined by the existential guest host, Katie Moyer, who is not on Twitter, but she's on Instagram. Welcome again. You made it back for week two. <laughs> You've come back for more. Uh, did, Katie, yes. how can people find you since you're not on Twitter? Uh, and what's your Instagram handle? Yep. The Instagram is where you'll find me. That's Gypsy Witch CC. Um, and yeah, I am back for another week. I am ready. I am so excited. The last week was so much fun. I had to come back for more. Yeah. And we have a fabulous, I think the real reason you came back was because the guest was like an offer you couldn't refuse today. Yeah, pretty, um, pretty much. Yeah. This, this <laughs> it's guy, not, it's I, not because I liked it. It's just because of the guest. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I, that's how I get my guest hosts. I'm just lure them in with amazing actual show guests that are incredible writers. And I just lure you in that way. And then I have you in my grips. What a trick. a trick. What a trick. <laughs> what a trick. <laughs> So since this is only your second episode, let's like come up with a cool topic to talk about. And I was thinking about this and you were thinking about this before the show. And we were like, what can we talk about? That's a good second episode icebreaker that we haven't talked about in all of the first season. The first episode of the second season so far, we have not talked about one thing. And you came up with this, Katie. And (laughs) I was like, Yes, we absolutely need to discuss this because it's very important, but it's also kind of fun to talk about. What are we talking about today, Katie Moyer? We're talking about danger or dangerous ideas. Dangerous ideas. Dangerous (laughs) ideas in film and, and horror screenwriting. And you would think that horror screenwriting inherently and horror films are dangerous in themselves. But, but maybe the early kind of films that came out and were the the groundbreakers of the genre, like the first Friday the 13th, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, like the slasher world, and then those like an introductory initial things that spurred other horror franchises or other trends in horror were dangerous because they broke the norm. They broke convention. But, but... I think horror, and I think you would agree, is some of it is becoming kind of uh, monotonous and uh, a little a little safe, playing it a little safe. Uh, even though horror is horror, I think uh, a lot of writers and a lot of filmmakers are playing it a little too safe with their themes, with their narratives. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think like the 1970s is a great example of when we look for dangerous ideas in horror, the, the 70s, like any pick any title from that era oh, yeah. and you're going to have a dangerous idea. And when you look at uh, what I can think of is I loved the new Halloween, Halloween kills. I love Michael Myers. Um, but when you look at the overarching, what they did, they played it safe. I mean, it there's Halloween two in there with the hospital, Lori at the hospital. There's Halloween four in there with the mob. There's Halloween six in there with he's somehow supernatural. Like they played it safe when they could have gone a completely different direction. So, but we have an opportunity now, I think, to see more dangerous ideas in horror. My favorite ideas. And I think the ideas actually that do the, best and get the most word of mouth 
are the most dangerous ideas evidenced by one of the films that we were talking about before this when we were I was kind of thinking about what are some dangerous movies right that I've seen in recent memory that have just got everybody hooked myself hooked you hooked Katie you haven't seen this one yet but I truly loved uh, and this is maybe cliche now because it's the it's the talk on the street it's the word <laughs> that's out there but uh, Squid Game it's absolutely yeah absolutely incredible and it's and it's dangerous it is a dangerous film because it is ultra violent it deals with childhood games and just killing massive amounts of people and death i think asian horror films in general are kind of dangerous all the time i mean they they do not play it safe no, I think there are certain rules that American horror, like, you know, you, you don't kill the children or the babies. Right. Those rules don't always apply when we look to other countries in horror. And so they they get a bit dangerous for, I think, our, our American sensibilities. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, they sure do. I, and I think it's it says something that... I think American audiences and worldwide audiences are craving more danger. Now, danger just to be dangerous just for the sake of being uh, almost borderline obscene in their danger with no solid narrative, no character development, no nothing, that's not going to satiate that need. It's not going to fill no. that gap for danger, right? Because Squid Game, and you'll see this, it is dangerous, but it also has superb character development a rock solid narrative and it's so engaging to watch and and it has such such heart and so many emotional moments to it that that danger is offset by just a brilliant story a brilliant tale that that captivates audiences so i think danger is nothing without other elements that make for a good for good storytelling how about you katie what what are what yeah. What dangerous movies, dangerous things have you seen lately? Well, I think the when I think of like what a dangerous idea is when we think of what it is to be in media today, movies and everything, you know, we have these five second attention spans from social media and everything. And I, I like, I think it's dangerous to really live in an idea. The one, um, the Mike Flanagan series, um, you know, Haunting of Hill House, mm. uh, Bly Manor, uh, Midnight Mass most recently. Um, also like the Mandy, Color Out of Space, where you really get to live in this world and take your time to experience it. I think that's kind of, it's dangerous to make a movie like that because there isn't necessarily a guaranteed audience like a reboot might have or a remake. And for them to get so much acclaim, both critically and audience, it's dangerous to put that idea out there. But the payoff is so great. You mentioned Mike Flanagan. First off, mm -hmm. uh, ever since I've seen Midnight Mass, I have had so many questions. And <laughs> to, this is going out to, to all of our listeners. If you know Mike Flanagan, I need to get him on this show. And Katie and I need to interview him because mm -hmm. so many questions. Just one of the big ones is all of those amazing monologues with the, the priest. And um, he just goes on. But they're so eloquently written. I have so many questions about those because it's like, how did you get those past the Netflix censors? Is, is it because you're Mike Flanagan, like that you're allowed to write these long, long monologues? Because sometimes these monologues, if you watched Midnight Mass, fill up probably 70% of whole episodes. 70% yeah. at least. And it made me wonder how he got those through the, the doors. I guess when you're Mike Flanagan, it opens up all of these new worlds for you to be able to just experiment dangerously, right? When you've proved yourself 
then you can be dangerous. Or if you do it yourself and you just make it yourself, then you can be as dangerous as you want, right? Well, yeah. And I think too, it's funny that you're like like the monologues and the big pieces and his writing of that, because he also on the other end of the spectrum has the movie Hush that he did. Mm-hmm. And yes. which I think is so brilliant. And I mean, no talking. <laughs> It's all action. And for him to be able to vacillate and build such wonderful like stories in that way. Again, we're just going to gush over Mike Flanagan, but, um, uh, but I think he's doing dangerous things in, in what he does and how he makes these movies and for them to be so amazing. It, it warms my heart. And is, I think more what we need to see horror going in is these original ideas and wonderfully written in that way. Again, I I agree with you. And I think that today's guest is someone who was at the forefront of that movement of being able to be dangerous to set trends to set horror in motion back in the day. And I think there's no better person to talk to about danger and how being dangerous and taking chances with a dangerous narrative and dangerous stories can get you successes in any genre, in horror, in in any cinematic genre. So I do think he's going to have a lot to talk about that particular topic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, how to navigate the dangers of it, too. And, yep. and, and, and really, how to navigate yeah. the dangers of danger. It's so meta. Yeah. <laughs> navigate the dangers of danger yeah was, <laughs> and without further true. ado <laughs> <laughs> and without further ado mr aaron sorkin no, <laughs> okay uh no today <laughs> imagine oh my god imagine oh, talk my. about not dangerous yeah. i mean what uh, mm, yeah talk yeah exactly talk about textbook Mr. so <laughs> today we have uh, a phenomenal guest on the show his name is William Malone. William Malone. Yeah, this is one of the guests that like got you, Katie, just on board with this guest host Uh thing. So I'm so excited. I got him on. I'm like the lure. So let's go into a little history of William Malone. William Malone was born in 1953 in Lansing, Michigan, where during high school he played in a Beatles-inspired garage band called The Plagues. I love that. That's like a little setup for his horror universe. And he's a he's a horror mm-hmm. nut. Mind you, he's a horror nut. He moved to California at age 19 to pursue a career in music. But after a friend's encouragement, he found himself getting involved in film and working a job at Don Post Studio doing makeup and costume work. For those of you who don't know about Don Post Studio, they're a super, super famous mask manufacturer. They actually did the original Michael Myers mask. And William Malone may or may not have something to do with that original like William Shatner mask that like they made the original Michael Myers mask out of. So he (laughs) was like behind creating that original Shatner mask that they took and then turned it into Michael Myers. After attending UCLA film school, he soon thereafter directed his first film, Scared to Death, after which he wrote for television, including Tales from the Crypt, one of my favorites, the episode in season seven called Report from the Grave, and various other films. You may also know him from uh, directingfear.com and the House on Haunted Hill remake. Side note, as a fellow collector, William is also a well-known collector of Forbidden Planet memorabilia. I'm also a uh, collector of film memorabilia, so we'll try to ask him about that if we if we get to it. But without further ado, here's William. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a it's a it's a great privilege, and I'm 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 thrilled. So uh, 
you know, always anxious to talk about horror films and, and stuff in general. So anything. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, we're going to we're going to focus a little bit on on you today, specifically your career. So I, I hope you don't mind dishing a little bit about yourself and kind of like going from there. Absolutely. I'm open to whatever you want to ask. Fantastic. <laughs> I want to kind of take it back to what I think might be the beginning here and correct me if I'm wrong, but Scared to Death, that was literally one of your first horror screenplays that was made into a film, correct? Yeah, it's the first uh, uh, real movie that, that I made. Before that, I'd done little shorts and stuff like that and some kind of wacky stuff. But yeah, that was the first real Film. I'd love to jump back to that time in your career and, and talk a little bit about that film and, you know, how it did or didn't kind of jumpstart your career in horror. What was your first foray into horror? You mentioned shorts a little bit before you got into Scared to Death. So talk a little bit about your, your first screenplays. Had you written a few shorts and, and what happened in your career before you finally had that first film, Scared to Death, produced and, and take off from there? Well, as, as you may, may or may not know, I was working for a company called Don Post Studios, which uh, made masks. And among yep. the other weird things I did is I sculpted the original Michael Myers mask. Uh, yes. While I was working there, I had really for a long time been thinking that I wanted to start making films. So I had made a few shorts. I made a, like a, a, a little short called Vampire. And that was a, like a seven or eight minute film and it really it really was just a collection of images it really wasn't a, a story per se and uh, and then before that actually the first thing I ever shot really was a thing called Night Turkey which was shot on, on I love the, that. the first home video camera you could get you know and a friend of mine and I wrote a guy named Robert Alvarez and I wrote it and it was uh, it was almost it was actually almost verbatim the original Night Stalker episode except we just turned it into a comedy which was pretty hilarious. I was getting very anxious to make film and I saw that the, my tenure at Don Post Studios was coming to an end for numerous reasons. I mean, one of them was I was getting toxic from all the chemicals and stuff like that. So I said, mm. you know, we really got to get out of here. So I wrote uh, a screenplay uh, for Scared to Death, which was originally titled uh, The Amberdeen Experiment. I wrote it with uh, Bob Short, who you may or may not know. He's a effects guy he and i wrote it basically it's the old story of you know uh, mortgaging the house and selling the cat and dog and you know, just getting <laughs> standard fare yeah you know getting as much money as i could get together and and we made the movie for uh, the grand total i think was seventy four thousand dollars back in 1980 that was still a good chunk of change but i was fortunate enough that actually even before i shot it i found a distributor who wanted to distribute it and uh, so we went ahead and made it and uh, it did really well actually we made i think it made number 16 in the charts no one was more surprised about that than i was i think <laughs> scared to death was the first like feature length right. that you wrote so like what was that process like like especially working with a partner and kind of undertaking something so much bigger than what you had already done to that point bob and i uh we had both uh, worked at Don Post Studios. We actually, in fact, started the same day painting 300 blind Frankensteins. And, oh my gosh. And, and we became good friends and still are today. And we, we would go see a lot of horror films together and so forth. And the approach really was, okay, we're going to make a low-budget movie. What can we bring to the table? Because you have to have something that's a standout in your film. Otherwise, you know, you're just going to be with all the tens of 
uh, you know, thousands of other people trying to make movies. So I said, well, one thing we can do is we can make a monster movie because, you know, we know how to do that. And, and it would be, a, we can make a costume that would cost somebody else, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. So, so that was our, our approach. And, and we sat down and we said, okay, well, what can we write? And I, I really wanted to do something that was, I had heard actually at that point, I had heard that they were making Alien. And uh, I was already a fan of H.R. Giger's work. I picked up a book called um, the Necronomicon, which was his art. I found it at a uh, horror convention. And when I picked it up, I just, I remember spending three or four days just looking at the stuff going, this is amazing. And then when I heard they were making Alien, I said, well, we have to, we should make a movie because that's probably going to be big, you know? So, so we started working and of course it took us a, you know, a while to write the screenplay and, mm-hmm. and so forth. And our approach really was, how do you do that? If you're not going to make a space movie, what, what is it? And we said, well, what if it was like, I think I remembered a really bad movie called uh, The Snow Creature, which was a 1950s movie where they had the monster got loose in the, in the sewers. It was a Yeti that was in the sewers. I thought, well, that's kind of a good idea. Let's, let's, uh, we, we can make that work for us. So, so that was our, our approach and uh, kind of married it with a bunch of other stuff. I mean, you know, when you're starting out, you try and like pull whatever you can pulled together. And, you know, I was a big fan of Chinatown. So it's got a little bit of Chinatown and it. it's got a little, uh, you know, where we had the hero who was like, uh, you know, he, he had lost a partner uh, to something apparently he had done and he felt very guilty about it. So he didn't want to do investigation anymore. And it was fairly contrived stuff, but, you know, it actually, it actually worked in the film. And actually, I, recently I, I restored it and it was actually better than I thought. I remember I thought it was pretty awful, but it's it's okay. It's an okay first first effort, you know. So you struck a really interesting point right there about your time at Don Post and talking a little bit about like how that inspired you to say, oh look, we can do this. We have like we can make masks, we can make creatures, we can make this stuff and make a movie, and then say, well, we can write a movie too. I think it's interesting to think of it from that perspective of having other skills that you can bring to the table in creating horror, not just the writing component, as a writing component being the companion to, you know, support something you already know how to do. And in that case, it seemed like the writing really was the next logical step in the in the chain of saying, okay, we can make these masks and these creatures, but like, let's write something to bring to life. We didn't have the money to option a book or, uh, sure, you know, it, it was just a matter of economics. It was just the, the best way of us proceeding. Actually, having worked at Don Post Studios, a lot of people came in to have uh, makeup effects stuff done for films. And and we, they would send us the scripts. And I'd go, anybody can write this. This is, you know, and, uh, you know, there was very few actually scripts that came in there that we thought, well, this is really good. We weren't privy to like uh, Halloween or, or that, you know, when, when we made the mask for it. But but there were other scripts that came in that we said, you know, this is this is not not terribly wonderful. I think Halloween's a, a, an amazingly good movie, by the way. A, a big part of it was we were just too stupid to know better. <laughs> well, sometimes stupidity of and 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 being naive about things. I mean, it leads to amazing things because you don't have anything to be afraid of. You know, <laughs> you just you're going into it, you know, jumping right into it. Well, look, here's here's one of the things about scared to death. If you had turned over our script to a real production manager, they would have looked at it and go, you guys are nuts. <laughs> you, got, you got tons of night scenes. You got, you got probably 
12 locations all over the city and set seat you have to build and you're making it for $74,000? No way. It's like, and we were too stupid to know better. You know, we just said, okay, well, let's go do it. Yeah. But you did it and you got it done. We did. Actually, I'll tell you some of the funny things. I mean, one of the approaches, there's a scene actually in a uh, parking garage and we have skaters and they're skating down. They had to skate down and one of them gets killed at the end. When we wrote it, you know, we didn't know what was involved in that. And then we actually just, we said, well, let's not contact the owner of the building. Why don't we just find the guy who's sitting at the booth and see if we can give him a hundred bucks. Smart. <laughs> and Very we did. But okay, fine. You know, and the, cause the, I, we asked him, does the owners ever come down? He said, nah, said, perfect. <laughs> so, so we shot, I think all day, you know, into the night for like a hundred dollars. You know? And then the other thing is we had a scene, we wrote a scene in a, in a um, factory. I mean, that's an expensive set. If you have to go build it, our approach was we went around and we just like knocked on doors. We went to like the industrial area in downtown LA, you know, and it was so desolate. There weren't even like any gang members. There was nobody. I mean, it was absolutely, there weren't, there weren't any homeless people. There were no gang members. There was nothing down there. We knocked on doors and uh, finally found this guy who sold industrial equipment. And he said, sure, I'll rent it to you. 500 bucks for the week. I went, okay, yeah, that works. That fits in budget. And he had this like giant forklift and he would like move these huge machines and go, where do you want it? Set it down over here. Okay. You know, so he dressed our set for us too. It was just because we were too stupid to know better. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but again, that, that's such a great point you make. I mean, like just get it done. If you can't put it in front of a producer and, and have a producer take to it, you know, not everything's for everybody. I mean, again, to your point, if you showed that to uh, any producer, they'd be like, get out of here. Right. Like, <laughs> but I think that's where some magic's made. You truly believe in what you have. You, you love it. You love the content and you just decided to get it done yourself. I mean, you, you truly produced and directed that and, and went that route and, and got it done just you and, and your co-writer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, some, some good friends who, who jumped in there and did some great work and, and, oh yeah, it was great. So, you know, and one of the things that came out of that is I now, when I see people going, oh, I've got to write a movie where everyone's stuck in one room and we don't go anywhere. no. No, don't do that. <laughs> yep. I'm so glad you say that because yeah. everybody's trying to to say, oh, okay, you know, I'm just going to write a, a, a screenplay that just takes place in one room at, because I can sell it because a producer is going to be like, oh, this only costs, you know, 500K to do and, you know, it's easy, so I'll make it. But like, it might work. Aren't you pigeonholing yourself into one room and not like letting your imagination you know, well, go. exactly. And it's like, come on, just, I, I think you can pretty much do anything if you really set your mind to it. If you really go, okay, I, this is what I want. And I, I think it's actually, it's much easier now than it was back then, because now you've got, you can ex- do extensions with green screen and so many other things that you can do, you know, which we, we had no ability to do back then. I'm a great believer in owning your own equipment. I think it, it, sa- it ultimately saves you money, even though you're Put you're laying out the cash. I bought an Aeroflex 16SR, which had just come out. When I bought it, during the time of production, the price of the camera had gone up so much, we were able to sell the camera at the end of production and actually turn a profit. So it actually didn't cost us a cent to have oh, the wow. 
<laughs> that is great. Yeah, I'm just curious. Do you? And we talked about like your how you got into this whole thing, and and you know your early um, breaking in and what you had to do, which is is great. And I think a lot of like the auteurs that cr- came out of the 70s and those at those those during those times, like Scorsese. I mean, they just did these movies and made them and and got them done. I mean, you hear these stories all the time. What do you attribute your successes in the industry to? Do you attribute it to just going for it and and just making movies and making creating things and making things happen? Was it a mixture of that and work ethic? Was it persistence? Yeah, I think it's a little of all those things. I mean, mainly I'm I was just there. You know, I didn't I didn't give up, you know, and there was yeah. plenty of time when you want to give up and it's just a matter of just staying in there and just continuing to do it. And mm. uh and it was tough. I mean, you know, if you're wanting to be a feature film director, which I don't recommend these days particularly, I mean, you can go for long periods without working. That's just that's just the nature of, of what it was. I've spent most of my career in development hell, in projects that were almost to go and didn't happen and so forth. In fact, the best stuff I've I would have ever done, I think, is in development hell, unfortunately. So. What was your calling card? Was your calling card scared to death? Like, what, what, what kind of finally got the industry to notice you and say, look, uh, William's here and uh, we got to go to him for, you know, the House on Haunted Hill, uh, you know, remake. Like, what, what, what was well, actually, it that... Well, actually, here's the thing is, you know, I, Scared to Death came out. It did respectable business it did like they made number 16 in the charts which was nobody was more surprised than i was and a few years later i made creature which did very well at the box office i mean we we really we made number eight in the country and it was it actually probably would have gone to number one had they not just been shoveling the uh prints around certainly nobody was knocking on my door after that either i then uh, wound up doing a bunch of like things like freddy's nightmares and uh mm-hmm. and a show called uh uh, dark justice we used to call it just darkness which was one of those crime time after prime time thing but actually i was out of work for a while and then a guy i had worked with on freddy's a guy named gil adler had been for now five seasons been doing tales from the crypt and they'd run out of quote all of the good directors they found the better ones <laughs> I called from Gil and said, yeah, we got a bottle show. Now, I don't know if you know what a bottle show is, but every show you can think of has a bottle show. The bottle show is a show that's like, usually has a shorter schedule than everybody else's. They try and save money on it. And usually the budget is, you know, the budget's much smaller and, and it's usually very contained. Anyways, he said, I've got the show and would you like to do it? And I said, yeah, sure. Of course, Tales from the Crypt, you know, it's made for that show. So, um, they sent me the script and I remember as I was getting, I think I was into page like 10 or something and tears came to my eyes. I said, I know exactly how to do this episode. You know, it was just like, it was like a gift. So I uh, did a few little rewrites, which they were okay with. And basically it just consists mostly about writing. Basically what it was, it was a story where a guy, uh, it's called Only Skin Deep. And it was a guy who goes to a party and meets this girl with a seemingly with a mask on and it's no surprise at the end of the mask turns out to really be her face and so forth. But uh, changes I made to it was I thought that she winds up killing him by poisoning him. But, but it, in the original script, it took till like a long time for her to do that. And I said, I, I want to make her so that the minute he walks in her door, he's dead meat. So, you know, very early on, he gives her the poison, but she gives him the poison, but 
it takes a while for the poison to take effect. So that was the uh, the premise of it. Once again, it was kind of like I was naive because it was a, a Showtime or it was you know, it was HBO. I, I knew that they could do pretty much what they wanted to do. And I'd heard Billy Friedkin, they, they'd mentioned that Billy Friedkin had gone there, on there and done this really crazy, sexy show. And, <laughs> and I, I remember going in there, oh yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll take that challenge. So I went in there and I did stuff I guess you're probably not supposed to do. It's got all kinds of really dark sex stuff in it. And uh, anyway. <laughs> well, that was, uh, a, that was the most fun thing about Tales from the Crypt is, yeah. is that it was so uh, a little risque. I mean, it was HBO, but like to expect, you know, that's what you're going to get from a pay network. But I always used to love it because it did have that taboo nature as me as a kid watching it. I, I was like, well, this is this is more than you're going to get on, you know, the, the yeah. daytime movie of the week. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't so. think they could have run this on regular TV. I don't even know what they would do. I heard that they actually did run it, but they cut out like seven minutes of it, you know, and not all of it were the, from the shots, just some of it was because of the tone of it. I turned the show in. Producers just apparently fell in love with it. And, and Bob Zemeckis, God bless him, was running around Hollywood saying it was the best crypt show. So, you know, suddenly I had agents and managers, you know, coming out the, the, the back door. So that's really what, what kickstarted my career. And then because it was uh, Joel Silver and Bob Zemeckis and those guys, they had bought the rights to uh, the Terry, from Terry Castle, the William Castle films. I'd actually done a few other things in between, but they'd asked me to uh, develop a, a version of House on Haunted Hill, which I, which I was thrilled about because I actually had already thought for some time I'd been thinking that ghost stories were going to come back hot and heavy. And I said, yeah, timing's right. So I have to share with you um, on another podcast I, um, I've done. Uh, we had a um, remake, a thon, and uh, really a tournament on the best remake like ever. And um, House on Haunted Hill beat out 36 other movies for the top spot. Well oh, deserved. That's great. Yep, well yeah. deserved. And I mean, th just looking back at the career, thinking about like, if you had to start from scratch today, do you think you would have an easier time with all the new technology and opportunity? Or do you think it would be just that much harder to you know get the permits and pay off the security guards and things like that you know i think it's 10 times harder now i really do i don't even know what to say to a young filmmaker who wants to get started just stay at it that's the only thing you can do and this is going to be harsh but it's the truth if you want to be successful you have to make a movie that's not good it's gotta blow the top of people's heads off that's the only way you're going to get ahead because it's so competitive out there now and because of the technology anybody can do anything so you really have to bring it on yeah i mean as a horror fan clearly you're also a horror aficionado you love the genre what do you think is hot right now what what do you think in your mind like if someone brought you a script to direct what would you like to direct i mean you mentioned they kind of went through that period of um and it really did like there was i think wasn't 13 ghosts that came out around the same time the remake of well, house on haunted hill or there was this this resurgence of like old school movies well actually like house house on haunted hill was the first of those movies in production yep spielberg's company heard about house on haunted hill and they rushed the haunting into production because mm -hmm. of house on haunted hill mm -hmm. which they were able to because of the money they had they were able to get it out first which i always thought kind of hurt us but but that's the way it is in the business so 
But in any case, uh, yeah, 13 Ghosts came out, I think, about a year or so later after House. And I was, I was uh, supposed to direct that, and then I, I had gotten some other offers, so I, I didn't wind up doing it. And then there was a whole bunch of others, and I think the Japanese horror stuff started pouring in about that time, too. So where, where are we now, you think? I mean, like, what's the next phase, do you think? I mean, I, I don't even know where we are right now. It's just a bunch of like different things. I think a lot more low budget things and character driven things. But personally, I, I just uh, finished a werewolf script. You know, I, I was like sitting back and I said, you know what? I haven't seen a good werewolf movie that I would watch in a long, long time. Werewolves Within came out, which we had a, ho um, a guest on recently, um, Josh Rubin, who wrote and directed that movie. But I haven't seen a good, good werewolf movie. Like, what do you think if someone were to bring you a script now, what would you be turned on to in the genre? Well, my theory is is, is always do what, what everyone says not to do, because that's exactly what you should be doing. Because the things that if you do what everyone else is good doing, what's the point? You know, so take mm -hmm. the stuff that you haven't seen in a long time done well and find some new approach to it. Things are right now are very, I can only describe a soap opera. I mean, a lot of there's a lot of soap opera stuff out there. I think the next phase is kind of get back to the 90s in a way. To me, horror should be like good rock and roll. It should be dangerous. If it's not dangerous, yeah. Why, yeah. why do yeah. it? For myself, I've always thought, if you're not walking on the edge of disaster, you're not doing good work. And you're going to fall. Yes, you're going to fall into the pit and people are going, ah, oh, guy sucks or whatever. You have to do that because otherwise, what's the point? You know, and do the stuff that's in your heart, stuff that you want to see. To that point, I mean, as coming from someone who has directed a remake, what do you think about the remakes right now? I mean, I, I think I just saw on Amazon there's a, a remake of I Know What You Did Last Summer from... It's a series. The, it's yeah. a series. A remake, a series of remake of series. What are your thoughts on remakes nowadays? Do you, do you, do you think they're oh, they're becoming overdone or do you think they're, you know, well, they're I obviously here to stay? I think they're well overdone. I think, it, you know, walk away from the remakes, you know. <laughs> I, look, I'm guilty, obviously. But, <laughs> but as someone a remake guy, I, I'm glad you say that. Like, I'm just, you know, there's but, some but, satisfaction there. Oh, my God, walk <laughs> away from it. I love the original Halloween, but I don't ever care if I ever see another Halloween movie ever. Don't ever make another Halloween. Don't ever make another play. Planet of the Apes movie. <laughs> just stay away from it. Just come up with something fresh. You know what? I, I think what frustrates me is that the studios don't get is that all the movies that they're making franchises out of were at one time dangerous and, and you know, uh, groundbreaking. Make those. I'm totally behind you with that. I think there are a lot of new writers, and this is a show geared at up-and-coming and cemented horror screenwriters. I think there are so many good up-and-coming writers with fresh ideas. Doing a remake of something, whether it's a series or a movie, I feel like it's a disservice. I, I, I don't want to say the word cop-out, but I think it's a dis disservice to fresh voices and, and fresh screenplays out there. Yeah. And that's a whole other story. It's, a, you it's know, a whole other story, but. Yeah, and it's very safe. And I, to your point, William, it, we got to be do something dangerous, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Break yeah. the mold a little bit. Go out Absolutely. on the, get some producers out there that don't want to play it safe that say, look, like, let's take chances. Let's do, you know, new, fresh things. I think Jason Bloom is is reinventing things. He's doing a nice thing with, with Blumhouse. I, I think there, there are some original ideas there. They are lower budget movies, and a lot of them are on Amazon now. But at least he's finding new voices and bringing new stories and narratives instead of just kind of reinventing something that's already been done.
Well, as you know, I mean, the, the problem too is that uh, the business now is that movies are either, you know, $100,000 or they're 200 million. There's not too much in the in-between. Yeah. It makes it very difficult. So uh, I don't want to lay entirely blame, but at the internet, but the internet has destroyed a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's good and bad at the same time. And unfortunately it's demonetized filmmaking. So look, if you're not going to make money, make the things you like anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the best advice you could ever give, you know, an up and coming screenwriter, or up and coming creator who wants to get into the horror world. That's just it's such solid advice. What's next for you? What, where, where where are you at right now? What what are you doing? I mean, what are you? Well, you I, I had a film uh, which was I'd shot a promo on uh, which we were going to make into a feature just before COVID happened. And then, of course, that all fell out. So as things head into the new year, I'm going to try and get that cranked back up again, see if we can get it made. It's. Yeah, but it's definitely, uh, as you'd expect from me, it's weird. It's hopefully not like something you've ever seen. It's going to be completely different and exactly the same as everything you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but but in isn't that like the some of the best horror? It, it calls back to the memories you had of scary movies when you were younger and the things you loved about them while creating something new in the process. And it's like a, this nice balance of nostalgia and well, horror I, I, and... Look, I might be wrong on this. My, my attitude is you don't need to come up with something that's vastly different. What you need to do is find a new way of telling the story, find a new, mm-hmm. uh, a fresh approach to it, I think, because just about everything you can think of has been done. I mean, so the best thing you can do is find a, a new way of telling that story. As a director, every time I get cocky, I'll go, oh, yeah, I come up with this. And then I look at some movie made in 1928 and Oh yeah, well, <laughs> they already did that. <laughs> the silent it's, it's somewhere. There's nothing. There's no way of hiding. Like everything that's been done has been a Twilight Zone episode, or a Tales from the Crypt episode, or has been made in 1920s. Like it is. It has truly all been done. I was reading yeah. a. Yeah. Uh, a camera blog and there was this these Aust- austrian guys who were saying oh we knew th- this new shot we we hung a wire from one building to another we put the camera on it and we did this moving crack and I, I i had the post i said uh you know 1926 uh you know fw more now uh, sunrise <laughs> Oh man, it's the the badness of being a cinephile is knowing where all of that comes from. But right, you you steal from the best. That's how you get better and create something new, right? You know what? Uh, I think it was it was uh, you're so right. It, it was um, Pablo Picasso who said uh, the difference between a great artist and a good artist is a great artist doesn't tell you who he steals from. <laughs> Have you ever seen anyone steal from you? You ever been watching a movie and go, "Hey, that's my shot." Oh yeah. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> How dare you? Well, okay. Listen, the end of scared to death is the monster is crushed on a uh, giant drop forge. Very niche. Another one was I wrote a script, which I won't say where it went, but uh, there was a tanker truck filled with uh, liquid nitrogen. There's a big uh, action scene that happens. It spills on one of the bad guys. He falls over and shatters uh, into a million pieces. Ah. Never seen that before. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> well, you know, I probably lifted it from someplace, you know. Over the years, from everything you've done for your from your entire career as a writer, do you have a favorite scene that you've written in, in any of your works, whether it be a, a crypt episode or, or one of your films, even if it's something from Scared to Death, do you have like a favorite thing you look back and are like, wow, like I remember writing that and seeing it realized was incredible. And it's just so fulfilling. There's some things that I kind of go, yeah, that was, that, 
that was kind of good. It was like uh, there's a scene in uh, My Masters of Horror, and it was kind of dangerous to do because what it was is a scene where the girl, Lindsay Pulsifer, who's the main character, and it gets uh, killed by her boyfriend. The, the way I did it was he turns into this monster, and I, I did this blackout scene where he turns into the monster, the screen goes black, and I held it for so long black. I wanted it to be where you know, the audience would go, something wrong with my TV? <laughs> and just as they're Guilty. about to say, <laughs> explosion of, of uh, blood and gore and stuff. And I, I, was, I was happy with the way that turned out. So. I remember great. watching that episode and thinking that something went wrong with my TV. <laughs> I, I, I echo that because I, it was that episode and the ending of The Sopranos that both got me. So I, I'm, I'm with you. We, and I, I rather like the scene where uh, uh, Bridget Wilson goes down into the uh, uh, into the basement of the house in the house on Haunted Hill, and uh, that is a fantastic scene. And sees, I'll tell you, th that was funny. Is when I was writing that scene, I was going, I was typing, I was going, and she goes down. She she looks in her camera and sees these, these people doing an operation, but when she puts the camera down, they're not there. And then just then the phone rang and I must have jumped about three feet. I said, okay, this is working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you're scaring yourself as you write, that's usually the sign of a successful scene. Have you written anything that you are surprised by being realized on screen as sort of like the opposite of that question that you wrote something and you're like, oh, this was kind of like, mm, you know, as I was writing it. And then when you saw it realized it was either enhanced by the performance or on set, you you know, brought something different to it and it actually became something more than it was on the page? It happens usually when you have a really good actor. I mean, look, a really great actor can bring something. I mean, there was a, you know, I don't think Preachers are a particularly good movie, but but there's a scene in it, which uh, I'd written a scene, which ultimately wound up being Klaus Kinski. And there's a scene where he delivers the dialogue and everyone in the crew just went, wow, you know, it was just because he was such a good actor, you know? So that's, that is always surprising when you get that kind of a, performance you know I, you know it's, that's one thing wonderful about actors is they can take your dialogue and really make it sing you know but just be you know, the opposite is true you know you can hear people go and you go man i gotta rewrite that that was terrible you know? and that, yeah. that happens all the time too but you gotta be willing to do that on the set you know you just gotta go okay wait a minute this is not working before you even get to the stage of like getting it to the point where it's being made do you ever do those like live kind of self-reads with well, anyone I don't. Usually what happens, though, is that when we're casting, a lot of times I'll see different people come in and read the same line. And then you go, OK, wait a minute. This is this is my fault. It's not their fault. And I need to, to rewrite it. So, you know, so that happens a lot. You know, I get a lot of ideas for to rewrite something and you know what works and what doesn't. My writing process is probably different than a lot of people. What, what I usually start out doing is I'll do basically what I just call the spine. I usually on little cards, I'll write up the plot, basically what, what the plot of the story is. It'll be very short. And then I'll do sort of a scene by scene description of it. It's just one liner. So so-and-so goes in his room, meets so-and-so, and they discuss this and, and we learn this. And it'll be, it'll be like that. And then the next step is me writing the actual script. Now, when I sit down to write, it takes me a lot longer than I think certainly a lot of my friends because I rewrite it as I go. So usually my first draft is pretty close to what I'm gonna actually shoot. Because I've gone back and rewritten it so many times as it's gone along. And I'll do a brush up too. You know, I'll, I'll give you some good advice. At least I think it's good advice. It's not from me. It's actually from Billy Wilder. I saw an interview with Billy Wilder. 
And he said something just, I, I said, this is absolute gold. So the first thing he did when he get, finished the script, he went and looked at the script and said, how much dialogue can I cut out of this? And that's what he'd, he'd go through every scene and go, cut, 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 wow. and just take mm -hmm. out dialogue. Because we're, we're making movies. We're not stage plays. We're not books. It's cinema. And uh, it's not about dialogue so much. It's about conveying as much as possible with the shortest amount of words. There's something I, I call the, uh, the pulp novel <laughs> approach, which is... I don't know if you ever seen any of these old pulp magazines, like you know, horror stories, the ones from the thirties. Of course, yeah. You know, and they've got great titles. You know, like one of my favorites is "The Corpse Wants Your Widow." All right. <laughs> oh, now, that's excellent. <laughs> Maybe my new in favorite. In the shortest amount of time, they just told you like ten thousand things. <laughs> you don't have to watch it. I mean, that's the title in itself. Is <laughs> so. I think good writing should be like that in a way. In other words, that you you should try and make it as as sharp and to the point as possible with those little description, little dialogue. And, and, but all of that should be really well chosen so that it says the most am amount that you can in the shortest period. Yeah, it's like a, it's in the subtext. And I think that's probably one of the most challenging things that you can learn as a writer and because and, you have to adjust your brain to create and write dialogue for someone to say that means it, but it, it's, what's, it's what's behind what they're saying that's actually you know, in that subtext is what you're actually drawing out. Another yeah, thing I like to point out to writers is, is and, and this is something that really just struck me very recently. I, I uh, sat down and watched The Godfather the other day. And mm -hmm. uh, I've, of course, seen it numerous times a long time ago, but I hadn't really looked at it in, the, in this fresh way. And I realized Godfather is really a horror film. If you really go back and look at it, it's really a horror picture. Sure. And, and it's structured like a horror movie. And it just cranks along. I mean, there's probably only like one scene in between each time somebody gets killed or something like that's going on. So it's like, it just keeps you going. And I thought, you know, that there's a lot to learn from that is, you know, how to, how to make things move along. And um, also the Coen brothers said something which I think is important, which is at the end of every page, you should have a mystery so that they want to turn the page and find out what the next thing is, which is very important to like you selling the script. I mean, absolutely. I think that that's always having the why question, pushing everything forward and being able to make that a, just on every page, make it apparent on every page. And I mean, speaking of why questions, one thing we like to ask here, um, or I guess it's a what question, but um, we like to close out the interviews with the question, what scares you? Oh, well, that's easy. Uh, <laughs> the Department of Motor Vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> who had, who is, is listening out there needs an idea for a horror screenplay. Like, I really think this has never been done before. There's never been a horror screenplay about the Department of Motor Vehicles. Someone <laughs> needs to make it now. I'm, and I'm not kidding about that. Yeah, you just got your notice in the mail. You have to go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles. Start care. <laughs> I mean, that's a that, that's a cold open so, if I've ever seen one. Question: If one of our listeners writes it, would you direct it? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, this is a big challenge. Now we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna an influx get flooded. Of, we're gonna get flooded with tweets and message direct messages from people who are like, "I just wrote the script for William." Don't no, worry, it's, it's, we'll I, get them for you. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll vet them first and make sure that like at least they they know how to write a slug line. Um, but but seriously, that, that that is such a fun idea. Like it's going through my mind right now about what that DMV horror film would be. And I think that the people who work there once they get there definitely need to be exposed as like not humans. It's like they live but at the DMV. How about werewolves at the DMV? Or werewolves. There's at your the werewolf DMV. script. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> William. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know we've gone uh, we've gone in a little over here, but I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to to come on. We'd love to, if as things move along with you, since we're coming out of the pandemic here, we'd love to follow up with you down the road at some point and say hello and see what you're up to. But if you if you had a good time, we'd love to have you back. I'd love to. I had a great awesome. time. It's great meeting both of you. And uh, you know, what are you guys up to? <laughs> Katie, you start on that one. What are you up to besides oh running marathons? And I have my Spartan race shirt, which I wasn't planning on showing, like and being super into it. Um... <laughs> no, that, is that Spartan from? It's a Spartan races. So I do obstacle course races. Because there's like Spartan Michigan State Spartans. There's oh no, yeah, no. This is it's uh, Spartan race. They do them all over the country and uh, sorry internationally. Um, and it's just there. They do anywhere from three miles to thirty-two miles, and you're running and jumping over obstacles and climbing ropes, and um, they're very fun. And uh, that's great. Yeah, you know, because being a final girl is an everyday job. So. <laughs> <laughs> and writing like if you're writing and you're just sedentary all the time like you need to be a spartan because i i often find myself hours and hours and hours just sitting on my butt and you know i think getting out and being healthy is a good thing it is a good thing my wife's a runner so yeah, it's, it's it's good to be doing that stuff yeah for sure for sure <laughs> And uh, I mean, I already mentioned what I'm up to. I'm I'm doing. I'm finishing up my werewolf screenplay, which I'm I'm extremely proud of. So. She's now changing the location of the DMV. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm rethinking the entire screenplay. So. Oh no! Yeah, it's uh, it's called Daughters of the Moon. It's and it's absolutely fantastic. So I can't wait to like get it out in the world. I always do like the festival thing, and you know, just gauge everyone's interest and have fun with it in the festivals, and then see what happens with it. So just don't take sure. no for an answer. That's my only advice. No. Absolutely no. And I'm saying no to taking no for an answer. But yeah, absolutely. Take no for an answer. I think that's a that's the ultimate piece of advice is just just keep writing, keep going and um, and just believe in what you're doing. So mm-hmm. anyway, awesome. it's been thanks great. again, William. I appreciate it's been so wonderful. Thank yep. you, William. Thank you. So, Katie, aren't you glad I, I lured you into this whole experience with William Malone? Because that was that lived up to everything you probably dreamed. I mean, it lived up to everything that I dreamed. He he's so fascinating to uh, talk to and listen to and and hear about and have him talk about coming full circle danger. You know, in um, yeah, absolutely in films. I mean, I, I've got to tell you, if you're not energized to start writing right now after yeah. listening to that, I mean, just experiencing that, I'm all, I've already got. 10 ideas flying. So yep. it was such an excellent talk with him. Yeah. He's, he's terrific. I mean, I could have, ta- I could have spoken to him for, for another few hours and oh, right. his, his history in the horror world is runs so deep that I think we could have probably gotten such great material out of him for a little bit longer, but we should have him back and talk about another topic and some other different things. And yeah, when he, when he's producing your DMV movie, he'll, uh, we'll have him yeah. back on. You guys can oh, chat yeah. about how that's exactly. going. Exactly. <laughs> Ex- exactly. That would be fantastic. So next week we have another great guest on the show, uh, from he's, he wrote a couple of my favorite films that were sort of streaming darlings. 
uh, over the last mm-hmm. few years, and you're you're very familiar. I've I think I've got you hooked for episode three. What do you think, Katie? Yeah, I'm sticking around, especially knowing who we're going to be talking to. Uh, I I'm very excited to talk to him and all of the hats that he wears. I'm I'm a little afraid though. I don't want to get you too hooked because then. <laughs> You know how uh, in standard horror fashion, then you, then I start one day, it's like, look, Katie, I've decided to move on to another guest host and, you, and then I have a stalker and then you kind of like come on mm-hmm. and you like zoom, uh, what do they call it? Zoom bomb or zoom hack or what do they call it? And then all of a sudden it's oh, like yeah. Katie's on, but like you change your name to like, you uh-huh. know, like some, like Mr. Howdy or something. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to have a. Yeah, I'm going to have Malone make me a mask that I can just like pop in so you don't know who it is. And <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, I've got you at least for episode three. And then we'll, and then we'll see if you stick around after that. Um, I'm, I'm actually dangling the carrot because the big, big guest, I'm I'm waiting for a few episodes in. So that's how I dangle it a little bit to, to keep you enticed to come back and co-host with me so um you know what big carrot i'm talking about so yes absolutely yeah well i have to say even even the little carrots are incredible so i'm very much looking forward to sticking around well we love to have you can't wait to have everyone back for episode three next week uh, until then, if you want to find us, you can check us out on Twitter. We're ScreamWritersPC. Don't ask about the handle because I guess ScreamWriters was taken by some weird company um, that does like a silk screening or something. I, I don't I don't even know. Uh, but we have ScreamWriters <laughs> Podcast on Instagram. You can hit us up there. Our DMs are open on Twitter as well, so check us out. Also, rate us. Press the five-star button on Apple Podcasts rate us if you like us write a review don't just press the stars because that's really easy to do you just take your finger press the five stars you can actually write a little something like you know i enjoyed the conversation about aaron sorkin and all that other stuff uh screenwriters pc is the bomb check us out uh so do that that would be amazing and also obviously subscribe to us subscribing is really important uh katie has stress this to me many times that subscribe is important and i know why it's important because when i subscribe to a podcast when i click on that subscribe button every day that that podcast comes on i mean we're every friday but still you get a little nudge look new episode of screenwriters podcast is up listen to me listen to me listen to me and then you get you know first dibs on um you know when when we come out with something new we have a great new interview great new show so definitely definitely subscribe as well it also helps us reach new listeners when you subscribe. The more subscribers we have, the more people get to listen to Patrick and Ariel and all of the wonderful guests and myself, of course. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so do that. Do it now. Do it now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till this, the next episode comes. Just go there, subscribe now. Go to our website, uh, screenwriterspodcast.com. I think there's a little area on there. Ariel usually does this, so uh, I'm not familiar with like how you get in touch with us via email. But for me, the quickest way is to just shoot a DM to ScreenwritersPC on Twitter. That's, that's how you get a hold of me. So do that. Rate us. Review us. And until next week, keep writing. And stay scared.